It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering, where each and every week we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national sports topic or two. We don't have a big gambling segment this week, although I've got, I've come up with one on my own here that I may have to ask Rick about, a, kind of an over-under. It's really not a bet. It could be a bet maybe you can make with your friends when I set the, the over-under. So we will have a little small gambling segment today and got a couple questions for me in, in Ash Skinny Anything, where you can go to the Twitter and hit the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything and send it, and Rick will put it on the board for questions to ask. So we got stuff to get to. Rick, I'll let you take it away. Skinny, we're going to do something brave that really no other sports show has done this week and we're going to do it just to prove a point we're not going to talk about Simone Biles I promise it's possible (laughs) you don't have to have a take on this it's it's a thing that you can actually do is just move on without talking about it and that's exactly what we promised to do for you guys so we'll start with the well well, hang on hang on are are we going to talk about Aaron Rodgers (laughs) I I don't think we're going to make it to there either although we could if you want no, I don't have any issues goodness. talking about the Aaron Rodgers thing. No, I'm good with passing on Aaron Rodgers, too. What a diva, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. Skinny, the Reds, they did something outside the box this week. They went out and acquired major league-level relief pitchers. The team added righty Luis Sessa and lefty Justin Wilson from the Yankees for a player to be named later. And then just a few hours later, they picked up right-hander Michael Givens from the Rockies for minor, leaguer, minor leaguers Case Williams and Noah Davis. Relievers Josh Osich, Ashton Gudo, and Edgar Garcia were all designated for assignment to make room for the moves. Skinny, what did you make of the Reds' trades on Wednesday? Well, obviously, it shows that they're they're still trying to salvage something out of this season. Um, and and look, I, I I'll give them some credit for that. I mean, I, two of those three guys are certainly serviceable, if not a little bit more so. Um, you know, Givens ERA is sub three, pitching sometimes in Coors Field. Uh, Sess has been a pretty good reliever. He's his ERA sub three. Now Wilson's is above seven, but he's got a career area of under four. So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where I'm going to chop these three guys off and add these three guys in and feel better about it with still Lucas Sims and TJ Antone to come. And really, you know, Rick, if, if you look at this season, as much as we've, we've wrung our hands about shortstop, I'll be frank. I mean, Kyle Farmer has not been the reason this team is, is seven games behind Milwaukee. It's been because primarily the bullpen and the fact that that early in the year, Luis Castillo was so bad and really that you've not gotten a whole lot out of Sonny Gray. I mean, you're your two top starters and your bullpen are probably would have cost you more than shortstop. So you went and attacked the bullpen. You, you added three guys who certainly are better than the three guys you let go, at least on paper. I, I'll give them some credit for that. I'm not expecting to do some kind of huge splash. I'm not. Maybe you are. Maybe others are. I never was. And honestly, I'm a little surprised they've done this amount. So good for them. Yeah, I think. That, that last part, especially, I agree with. But I guess the part that strikes me as weird here is why now? And is this too little too late at this point? Because well, but if you look right, but if you look around the room, there was, I mean, how many how many trades were made? How many? None. none. And that's I was actually going to any. Yeah, I was going to bring up that exact point. Why is why are baseball teams like this? Why do they feel like, it's not like the Reds haven't known for months that they needed relief pitchers to compete it's not like the Yankees didn't know that they were going to need to make moves why do these teams wait until it's essentially too late before they're willing to make any type of deal just because the trade deadline is approaching yeah I think some of it's the the opposite guy going back like a Joey Gallo for a team as bad as Texas what's your one drawing card for the most part it's kind of is Joey Gallo going to hit a 450 foot home run and you try to cling to that as long as possible you also I think too Rick 
when you start floating the Joey Gallows of the world out there, you're seeing, you know, what deals are coming back towards you and you continue to try to maximize that deal. And I think sometimes that takes more time than, than we would like it to take. I, I get your point because, you know, suddenly you look up and you're down to two months left after you've made these moves. Um, and, and when you're chasing not just a game or two, a game or two can be made up in a weekend, but when you're chasing six, seven games, that's a lot to make up in two months. Well, it, it's just, it's really frustrating because these were, like you said, they weren't splash moves. They were just improvements, slight improvements. They were getting you to major league quality relief pitching. And that's all anyone asked for was to give this team a chance. Essentially what you did is before the season, you quit on this team and said, I don't really think this team's good enough to make a run. We're not going to spend any money on it. We're just going to pass up on the season and, and let the chips fall where they may and look towards next year. And then after you get into the season, you find out, wait, these guys are actually fighting. They're kind of in the hunt. They got a chance. You still don't do anything until you find out at the last possible second. Well, should we just do this out of respect for the guys on the field right now who are still busting their ass and staying alive when it's already too late? Like, I just well, don't understand I that logic when everyone knew this is what you needed to do. No one was asking for you to go find a Rollis Chapman in the back end of your bullpen. It was just get us to a few major league quality arms in the bullpen to give these guys a fighting chance. You finally done that. And, and you know, I guess they deserve some credit for that, but it's like, there's no long-term plan here. Uh, these guys. Well, Sess is under control for another year. So I think right. Sess is under control piece. for another year. So you got one guy going for another year and the other two guys can leave after this year. So this wasn't, it's not like they've, made some long-term plays here. They've done exactly what everyone wanted them to do two to three months ago or before the season started. That's all anyone was asking for. But to do it now feels a little disingenuous. But, but, but don't, don't forget, though. I mean, if you'd asked for Luis Sessa in May, were the Yankees going to give him up? If you asked a bunch of teams around baseball. I mean, honestly, the you Pirates could, but you could Frazier to the last second. Why? They were trying to maximize the value they got in return for him. But you could have made moves like this, whether it was in the offseason or if it was know. earlier in the season. You could have found guys who, I mean, Skinny, look at what they did to make room for these guys on the 40-man roster. They just DFA'd three guys. Correct. I mean, you had Correct. three guys who were not even in the picture and you knew it and you were asking them to go out. Josh Osich was just in the game the other night to lose it. I mean, yeah, I, I think some of this is it also shows that, that there is a real void of, of bullpen arms in baseball. I mean, it really is. Uh, I mean, but I mean, you just went out and found three in the same day at this point. You could have found major league arms that's I'm my issue with that I, I don't think you could have I, I think you can argue you could always argue you traded two major league arms or let two go in Iglesias and, and Archie Bradley but we know that was a money a cut so um when, when you do that I just don't think there are a lot of those guys around I really don't I think sometimes a lot of the bullpen stuff is a guy catches lightning in a bottle for a year and then if you're in the race you keep him if you're out of the race you sell him and that's just the way bullpens are built anymore for the most part I, I can't really believe you're defending them. Honestly, I really don't know what to say to that. Well, no, I, I understand it. I'm just trying to, to do this a little bit logically. Cause again, look around the rest of the league. How many big deals were made before the last week? Uh, that's not your, you, you keep throwing in big deals. I don't need well, a any, big deal. de any need deals, any deals, but I'm talking any deals skinny. There were guys we've been talking about this for a while. You had to do something else than the ridiculous JV. No, you know, you, you know, you know what you need to do anything until now. You need to do something that they have not done for 15 to 20 years. You need to draft better and develop better. And they've been horrible at that. 
horrible. All of the things you're saying are fine. They're well and good. But we're talking about this specific situation, this specific year. And there was other options. There were things well, to do. I mean, uh, this is what the whole conversation, the whole season has been about. The fact that they just tore down their bullpen with no plan in place for this season right before the year started. No, their, 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 their plan was, their skills, no doubt, their plan was clearly get a bunch of veterans, hope you catch the lightning in a bottle, and you didn't. That's not a great plan, but that was the plan, and they're not, they're not alone in doing that. I, yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't, I don't know. And, and I, I think the unfortunate part to this is, is I think we're going to regret them not being sellers here at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to play both sides of it, but I kind of agree with you on that to a certain extent is I, I don't, What's the Let's plan the, here? What is right, the plan here right, for them? Let, now right. you're and trying I, to win? And I'll tell you, uh, we had somebody that did a column on local12.com. It was not me, but it, it's it's a pretty good piece of kind of looking at the future pieces of this team and, and putting together six trades that are pretty unpopular. I mean, one of them is involving Nick Castellanos. One of them is involving Sonny Gray. And, and looking to see what you have on the roster, where those people fit, kind of the Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green plan and trying to then fit some pieces around it. One of them is a trade to try to get Byron Buxton from Minnesota to fill the center field. It was a pretty laid out plan that I kind of liked, to be honest with you. Um, but I think right now these trades were done primarily to kind of assage the fan base of, right. see, we did something. I'm, I'm noting you. I'm just telling you, I don't think there was anything else they could do after they let go of Ryza Iglesias and Archie Bradley. There just isn't a lot of arms that people are willing to give up to help you. I mean, I I just disagree with that. That's not that's not true. There are other arms out there. They just and, went well, out and unless, and unless you're the Seattle Mariners and somehow you deal a guy with a sub one ERA inside your division to the team that's in first place, which I'm still trying to figure out how that GM looks anybody in the eye. Yeah, I mean, there's always if you want to spend a little money, if you want to take on a bad contract like they just did with Justin Wilson, there's always ways to find some upgrades compared to what they had. Again, I'm not telling you Skate, that they had to go and find. A, a big time arm out of thin air when they didn't have they didn't want to trade their big time prospects. This wasn't a year that they were going all in on. I understand that, but they had guys who had no business being at the major league level while they were in the hunt for a long. Which time. Which shows you their lack of depth in the minor leagues. That's it's that simple, of course. But my point is, you can go on and take a bad contract like you just did with Justin Wilson. You can figure out a way to make slight upgrades to get you to just passable major league arms when you're in the hunt like this they just did it they just did it i understand it was close to the deadlines of people more were more willing to deal but you could have overpaid a little bit a couple months ago if you needed to this well, if you're going to do that you'd have paid for archie bradley to begin with that would have been fine too that would have been a great option as well but that's why but that's where we're at i mean they just essentially punted on this season that's what happened and then now like you said they're trying to save face with the fans and that's all it is yes yes a minor little bit of respect for the players in the clubhouse that are still fighting i mean, and let's I mean how do you they, go they, to they, Joe they, and, and look him in the face right now if you're this front office with what he's oh, doing I don't, yeah I, i'm i'm getting that but yeah I, and I'm, I'm i'm kind of agreeing with you but i'm just telling you i don't think it's easy to go get bullpen arms and listen I'm not I saying think all this easy. is all this is is just lipstick on a pig for the most part. While Milwaukee, meanwhile, gets an all star third baseman because what do they have? Giant hole in their lineup. You talk about upgrading, <laughs> and that's where you look. So they just upgraded probably better than you upgraded. You're chasing them seven games. Be a seller at this point. Enough's enough. Be a seller. That, Swallow that. hard. Deal Sonny Gray. Swallow hard. Deal Nick Castellanos. Let's start doing something for the future because we've seen this play out before where uh, fans are really kind of upset with us and uh, well, let's uh, not do something. Let's wait. And, and then you waited and what happened? You punted it down the road another two or three years and all you got out of it was one year 
of playoff baseball. And I don't even, you know, they made the playoffs. I'll give them that. But one year of above 500 in a, in a 60 game season. Yeah. And that's what that, then that's a more interesting conversation is, is like I was saying, it, it feels too little too late at this point. And really, yes. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to be doing at this point. I don't know that they have a good chance of catching Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee's yeah. The only thing I'll say better. is they, yeah, the only thing I'll say is depending on who the player to be named later is, and I can't imagine it's anybody major. They really didn't give up much in these deals. So they, they did help themselves without giving up much. Exactly. And that's why, I mean, again, you just essentially gave up nothing to find three arms that were better. Here's a, Justin Wilson is a bad contract that they just added. Guess what? He's still better than three guys. They just DFA'd. He's, he's an upgrade somehow. That's how bad you were. You're taking no on money. He's the guy that allowed you to make the deal for Sessa. And he's still better than what you had already. That's my point is this could have been done. You could have improved I your disagree arms. With that. Not necessarily gotten great arms or top of the league arms, but major league bottom of the barrel arms at best. You didn't even have that. You had bad minor leaguers pitching in the majors. Again, because you had no depth in your minor leagues. But I agree. I'm not arguing that at all. You can fix that issue, though. You could have fixed this earlier. They just proved that they could have. All right, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Uh, last topic here, the the bias situation. He gets fined, no suspension. I guess the lesson here is that you should just go ahead and cite a brawl if you're the opposing team. That's how yeah, you get the other guy fined? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. So, so if Amir Garrett had gone after Baez after this, obviously Amir Garrett would have been suspended, but I guess then Baez would have too because he started the whole thing. Is that right? Is that how I'm reading into this? Well, I don't know. Did as, uh, as, lo- as did long Hobbs- as the other guy, as long as the other guy doesn't react, then then you're safe from anything other than the fine. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, heck, I mean, based on what we saw with the Cardinal situation, do we even know if you get fined for going after the guy and starting the brawl? Like. The, the way the major league has, has doled out these punishments this year, you essentially have decided that the onus is on the team to incite the brawl to punish the player. That's how that works now. You have to go fight him to make sure he gets in trouble. Yeah, and that's the dumbest thing ever. I mean, that I, makes no I, sense. I, I'll give Amir Garrett as much as I think he's a clown show 99% of the time. I'll give him some credit for some restraint there. Well, Amir Garrett has been consistent in what he says. He says he likes talking trash. He feels like that's a reasonable part of the game. You're allowed to say, I got you when you succeed, just like the other guy is, and it doesn't go beyond that. He's He was fine with it. He let him he let him talk his talk after he, he got the game-winning hit. He's always been consistent in that way. He's never had no, a problem but, with but, guys but, talking to him. But here's the thing. Major League Baseball is not, and that's what that's, that's the whole joke. point of this. I, I You know, I, for what Javi Baez did, he absolutely should be more than fine. If you're, if you're going to do it to Nick Castellanos for – getting yep. up at home plate just because the guy was underneath him. It wasn't like he ran him over and it wasn't like the guy punched Nick Cass. I mean, it was literally, it was just Cassianos got up, stood over top of the guy who was there, probably said something. We, you know, he screamed out loud, whatever he said, I don't know. And and that was suspendable. Yeah. Because, because Yadier went after him and caused the benches to clear. It's like the, the, they have yeah, put the onus silly. on the opposing guy starting a fight to get someone in trouble. It is a, a ridiculous look for major league baseball, but, that's major league baseball for you. I mean, they've started this whole let the kids play thing. They want to have more emotion and everything. And I'm fine with it. I say, let it all go. I, I, I don't care if Javi gets fine. I don't think he should be, but you should have never fined Castellanos. You should have just all of this stuff is so silly. If either let them all talk trash or don't let any of them talk trash. I don't really care, but the, the inconsistencies here are a joke. Yeah, no question. 
All right, let's move on to some NFL talk. It is training camp week here in Cincinnati. Well, really everywhere, I guess. But in Cincinnati specifically is what we're worried about. And Joe Burrow, big news of the week. Skinny, he was fully cleared for football activities ahead of the start of training camp. Zach Taylor said he'll participate in 11-on-11 action in practice, but he won't likely play in preseason games. While talking to the media on Wednesday, Burrow said that he would like to get some preseason snaps and feel what it's like to get hit once or twice again. What do you think? Should the Bengals play Burrow at all in preseason games? I think they should because, look, you can talk about simulating some of that stuff in practice, but when the guys on defense and DJ Reader even made a point of, of, of knowing about being smart with any quarterback and especially now a guy coming back from a knee, and he said, listen, you know when you beat a guy up front, you know when you got by him or you were going to get by him to sack the quarterback, you know when you accomplished that. Um, so I don't know how much you can simulate that in, in practice. They can talk all they want about it but there's nothing like real game speed. There's just not. And, and listen, if you play him in preseason and he gets hurt, I hate to say it. So, so be it. That's just, that's, that's a bad break. That's not a bad decision. That's just a bad break. Can't put the guy in a bubble. He's going to get popped at some point play. You know, he could get hurt in, in, in the second series of a preseason game. He could get hurt in the, the fifth game of the year. It's just sometimes it's a matter of, 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 of a bad luck. And I think you need to see him clear the mental hurdle of the rush around him. Um, you need to see him on the run, having to dodge rushers and make some plays with his feet outside the pocket. You can see some of that in preseason and in training camp. And we saw that in camp last year. And to his credit, he was ready to go when the season started. But he also isn't coming off knee surgery. Where there's guys that I don't care who you are. You still are going to be a little bit gun shy when somebody's rolling up at your feet about stepping up in the pocket the first few times. Maybe after a while, when you get used to it, you realize, all right, it was freaky. I can figure out a subtle way to get around it. You're going to be okay. But I just don't think you can put a guy in a bubble. I, I think he needs some preseason snaps. And I think the fact that he wants some preseason snaps, I think you should listen to him in that regard. I can see both sides of it. I understand from his perspective, why he, he wants to get back in, back in the mix. He's anxious. And he, like you said, probably needs to feel what it's like. I also look at the side of it of like, Hey, there's been plenty of good players who have not played a down of, preseason and they come out and start the season just fine they don't need any of that now granted most of them aren't coming off of major knee surgery but I certainly don't think preseason football games are essential to having a good season now one thing I will say is I give Zach Taylor some credit because he seems pretty intent on not playing him in preseason games and if he follows through on that it's in some ways a little bit of a ballsy move by Taylor because he needs Joe Burrow to be ready right away he needs to hit the ground running. He can't afford uh, an early loss or two that should have been wins because Burrow was a little gun shy and sailed the first three or four long balls that he threw or something of that nature, you know? So I will okay. give Zach Taylor some credit for being looking at the big picture here and not worrying too much about saving his own job. Yeah, that's fair, but I'm going to flip it up on you too. But is it also Zach Taylor going, listen, if I don't, if I, if I play this guy in the preseason, he gets hurt. I don't have a lot of cachet in this town anyway. And if I do that, <laughs> Good luck having any fan base faith in me whatsoever. So part of me thinks is, is this as much of, Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to do the, the decision that everybody thinks is the right one to, to make and hope he's ready because he, you know, he's proven to me last year without a camp and without a, without a, not a camp, without a preseason that he can hit the ground running. Um, I think it's the safe decision to make. It's the easy decision to make. I think the hard decision to make would be, all right, Joe, you want a handful of snaps to get ready? I'll, I'll give you a handful of snaps and, and swallow hard and hope he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, look, if he gets hurt, 
fans are going to hate whoever the coach is regardless. I mean, that's not going to be like a Zach Taylor thing. It could be Bill Belichick here coaching. And if Joe Burrow got hurt, people would be like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're an idiot. Yeah. So, no, right. Right. Yeah. There's no coming back from that decision if he gets hurt. And I, I'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong to play him. I, I do give Zach Taylor a little credit though, for seeing like seeming like he's not all that worried about getting fired in the first several weeks of the season. Maybe he, maybe he knows the Brown family better than we do and knows that he's not in any danger at all. So uh, who knows? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know, boy, you, you, you get off to somehow and you can see it. Minnesota comes in here and beats him. Oh, First if- road game at Chicago. Then you got to go beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh, which you can't do. You're owing three with Jacksonville coming in on a Thursday night. <laughs> Katie barred the door at that point, man. That's when a lot of firings take place after some of those Thursday night losses. So he, he better get himself off to a good start and he better have Joe Burrow ready and Joe Burrow better be ready for, for, for that to happen. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, Skitty, how did Burrow look in day one? I mean, I know you've already saw, seen him throw in OTAs a little bit, and we're talking yeah, about the first he, day of training camp. But he, he did, I, mean, I thought he did more yesterday because um, he did participate in 11-on-11s. He did get under center and take some snaps, which he didn't do um, in OTAs because they just didn't want him around anybody or you know a, a guard stepping on his foot and hurting him at that point. Um, the, about the only bad throw he made, and he actually said this was the throw that he started to feel pretty good about was – he reversed bootlegged out to his left and where you kind of have to turn your body and make that throw going to your opposite way. He tried to thread the needle. I don't know if it was, it was a, well, a, it was a bad throw cause it wobbled and B it was a bad decision. Cause we're in the end zone and you could see it unfold. Um, uh, Jordan Evans and Jesse Bates were right there. He tried to thread the needle between the two of them and it should have been intercepted. But other than that, they did a lot of quick game. Um, not a whole lot of intermediate routes. He threw a couple of corner routes and he threw a, a deep in route to CJ Uzama. That was pretty good. So he didn't, you know, they, they didn't work much on, on, in fact, they didn't work any on deep balls in 11 on 11s, but uh, I thought he looked really sharp, uh, got the ball out quickly, you know, had, had zip on it, was accurate as he normally accurate, made the right decision, looked like 90% of the time, other than that reverse bootleg where he tried to jam one into some traffic. Um, I don't expect anybody to be perfect in any practice, let alone their, their first one at camp, but he was damn well close, damn well close to it. If you read the quotes from, his teammates, and this has been for a while. It's not like a new thing with the Bengals or anything. This has been going on since he was at LSU. But if you read the quotes that his teammates give about him when when asked, it will almost sound like they're making fun of him, like they're tongue-in-cheek because they're so over the top and so almost cliche when talking about how great he is and how he attacks his workouts and his approach to life and just how – I forget who said it, but someone said he just reacts the way you want your quarterback to react to everything. It was like they just yeah no like, it's the praise for him is so effusive but uh as a Bengals fan you really can't get enough of it right now. I mean again it wasn't like he you know had to have a little meniscus cut out of his knee I mean he had to have some major stuff done to it and again remember the hope initially was sure hope he can come back and take that first snap in the first game of the season and there he is in OTAs and yeah there was and, and listen OTAs are certainly not training camp speed you're, you're just trying to get some stuff installed trying to work on a little bit of timing, you know, do some seven on seven stuff, but you know, he was ready for that. And then, you know, kept going and going and finally got cleared for full stuff. And here he is taking the first snap. And I, I told him, I think I told you on the podcast back after OTAs and that I thought he'd take the first snap of, of training camp. He's yeah. just that guy. And there he was taking the first snap of training camp. And again, looking pretty damn sharp doing it. Now I still want to see when we get into a little bit quicker pace, they weren't in pads. They're not going to be in pads until Tuesday. That'll ramp up the intensity a little bit more. Um, I want to see him hit on some deep balls. I want to see him be able to stand in there with some rush coming and obviously knowing he's not going to get hit, but still 
accidents can happen. So you still got to kind of have your head on a swivel. I, I want to see some of that. That's the next step I need to see. It was an awful moment for fans when he went down. All fans are still going to be holding their breath every time he gets hit for the first no few question. games. But at this point, it seems like everything has gone as well as could be expected. You know, no I mean, doubt. The fact Absolutely. that he is fully cleared right now, it, I mean, it, it really feels pretty good as a Bengals fan just because that, that was that was a really hard day to watch him go down like that and wor- wonder about oh, what's this guy's future going to be like. And I see that he's he's recovered this well so quickly is, is a great sign on that. And we're talking six weeks about until the start of the regular season. That's another six weeks of getting that knee even better and better and better. Right. So, you right. know, that that's the other good part to it. Yeah. And Trey Hopkins, the same way Trey Hopkins, don't forget, got hurt later in the season than six weeks later than Joe Burrow got hurt in the second half of the last game of the year. Um, you know, his goal all along was to try to get back for the start of training camp he did not participate in OTAs or or in that mini camp practice. Um, he did work out on the side, worked himself really hard, and lo and behold, he's cleared to participate. Now he's not doing eleven on elevens the first couple of days. Like I said, they're going. I mean, honestly, the the the, the first training camp practice and probably the one we're doing this on Thursday, probably the one this afternoon, or, or it was only ninety minutes. It was kind of almost uh, OTA like. They did a lot of install. Um, didn't do a lot of one-on-one drills, did some 11 on 11, probably just to simulate. So uh, I think these first couple of days are going to let Trey stay out. He did, he did participate in some install stuff, but when they went to 11 on 11s, he did not. I'm going to guess that'll probably hold true until Monday. They've got two practices in helmets the first two days, and they've got those kind of shell shoulder pads on Friday, Saturday, they're off, uh, Sunday, back to helmets only Monday than in full pads on, on Tuesday. So I'm going to guess he'll, I'm going to, if I'm guessing he might be back by the weekend, I'm going to say he's probably participating in full come Monday when, when they're in helmets, just to say, Hey, are you close? And if you are, then let's get you here when the pads are on. Um, but yeah, good sign that he's been cleared and he's able to p- participate. So, and same for DJ reader too. All right, Skinny with training camp getting underway on Wednesday, it brings about the age old question. What are the best training camp battles to watch this year? What do you think? Obviously guard, um, you know, it was kind of interesting yesterday. There was a quote, and this was three hours before practice started um, from Zach Taylor about Jackson Carmen about, yeah, you know, sometimes coming in this league, it's hard. You got to learn how to be a professional. You got to learn how to eat right. I think it was, what does he have to do to become a starter? And some of it was kind of a little bit of a, it sounded like a warning shot to some degree that he maybe has not done the things that they needed him to do, wanted him to do to get ready for training camp. And then lo and behold, um, when, when they lined up for install and then they lined up for 11 on 11s, he was with the third group at right guard, not the first group as we're hoping and not the second group He was with the third group. Now it's also the first day of training camp, right? So I'm not yeah. reading a whole lot into it other than sounded like message sent. And when you see him go out with the third group, sounds like that's where the message is right now for that guy. So certainly guards won. I mean, that you're hoping he wins the battle, right? And you, you know, that, that, that's, you, you didn't draft Jackson Carmen to sit around. Yeah, and I'm curious to see where that goes because first day of camp, make that comment, see him be kind of with the third string. That could totally just be, hey, let's motivate this rookie, make sure he knows we need him to really work his tail off here. And And that's what I read into it. Or it could be, you know, a little bit more of this guy is immature. He's not doing the right things. He's fat. He's out of shape. That type of stuff. I'm very interested to see if these types of messages continue from the coaching staff or if he remains 
with the third string. Cause like you said, first day of training camp, you're, you're not thinking anything of it with a rookie being with the third group. I mean, that's not even really a depth chart at that point. But no, right. Correct. All of a sudden, you know, a couple weeks from now, it's the same thing. And he's making more comments about what he needs to do to get better. Okay. Then I'm going to be a little bit concerned because there were some people wondering why they took Jackson Carmen, where they did in the first right. place. If this continues the way it started here, I will be a little bit concerned. I'll admit that. Yeah, here was the quote, the exact quote. Um, and it was asked, what, what, what does Jackson have to do? And this was, again, three hours before that first training camp practice in the press conference, a couple hours before, rather, in the, in the press conference. And it was asked, you know, what's he got to do to earn the, the starting spot? He says, just show that he can be consistent day in and day out. You know, there's a lot of things that go into playing in the NFL, and this goes for all the rookies, but it's being a pro on and off the field, taking care of your body, studying at night, being prepared with questions the next day. And that's really the message to all those young players is, you know, in college, you knew your system. You were a three or four year starter. You knew it. It was easy to you. This isn't going to be as easy to you. That sounds like a message quote. And especially when you see it followed up with him being with that third group. Yeah, I thought so too. It definitely stood out to me and, like, like I said, I, I wasn't concerned by it at this point, but it definitely made me raise my eyebrows, take note of it and say, OK, next few weeks, if they say anything more about this guy needs to get it together or if we don't hear about him kind of progressing, I am going to start to get a little bit nervous about that pick. Yeah, the other one obviously is kicker. I mean, it, it's it's not a you know battle that people are going to find very sexy, but, you know, a lot of people were tweeting about it yesterday. Yeah, Ed McPherson made all six of his field goals. Um, the last three from 41, 45, and 48 yards. So he was six for six, which he was the only one that kicked. Austin Cybert, I will assume, will then kick today. Sometimes they'll, they'll do them both in the same day, but they chose McPherson yesterday, and then I guess Cybert today. And, and then I guess, honestly, at that point, it's just, I think, a lot of depth battles. Um, you know, who's the last wide receiver? Who's the last cornerback? Um Who's what do you the think last about, defensive tackle? What do you think about edge rusher? Do you think there's going to be some interesting battles there? I mean, you know who your top two guys are, but you rotate those guys a little bit and you drafted some talent at that well, position. Not, Is yeah, that something and not to watch? Only, Yeah, and not only that, it's, it's you know, I, I think the hope would be that, that one of those rookies, I mean, especially Joseph Osai, who you took the highest of those edge rushers, shows he can at least be a third down specialist, if nothing else. And move Sam Hubbard down inside to a tackle, make yourself a little quicker. Sam Sam can play some nickel tackle. Um, he's got some length in there, which which helps to to get up and bat some balls down. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly an, another one for sure. It, it is funny. Paul Daner Jr. from the Athletic and I both did a, a fifty three player roster projection. I did mine. I think the day before Paul's did. I know he didn't cheat off of me, and I didn't cheat off of him. Obviously, we wound up being one player different on the entire roster. One player different. It was the six wide receiver. I went with Stanley Morgan. He went with Trent Taylor. My point was that, that Darren Simmons likes Stanley Morgan as a special teams player. Paul's point was Trent Taylor has been a punt returner and a, and a, and a you know, slot receiver in this league. He has, he has certainly more experience than Stanley, Will, Stanley Morgan. So I can buy that either way, but that'll tell you how, how much I don't think there are a lot of battles. There's some starting spot battles, you know, linebacker. Um, I think you go in with Logan Wilson and, 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 and uh, Jermaine Pratt, but uh, King Davis Gaither step in and start for one of those two guys. So um, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's a pretty, I don't want to say cut and dried because certainly some of the guys like an Eli Apple, who we both had former first round pick, he's got something left in the tank. He's certainly a talent still to keep as a backup corner, but if he doesn't and he becomes a malcontent and brooder or whatever, then yeah, he may not make it, but yeah, I, there's, there's really not a lot of battles. The one for me, the main for me, I think you're right. The, the, 
can one of those rookies be a, uh, a good edge rusher for you? And, and, um, and who's going to win the, the starting guard spots. The other one, I guess, and it's really not a, a position battle, but who's going to be the punt returner. Um, I, I think they'd like Darius Phillips to be that guy. Cause he's going to be the fourth corner and he's pretty dynamic, but can you trust him to always catch the football? And so that's the other one is who becomes the punt returner. Cause I know a lot of people didn't like Alex Erickson, but, uh, Darren Simmons loved his reliability and he was a reliable guy for the most part. He had a couple fumbles, but not very many and, um, not dynamic. Darius Phillips is pretty dynamic, but it's great if you're dynamic, but it's not great if you're dropping the ball on the ground a bunch of times either. No, that's not ideal. Skinny, anything else from uh first basically day of training camp or, uh, we, no, we- I, I think it was the, the, yeah, I think it was the most part that most everybody was healthy. You know, Larry Ogunjobi got put on, uh, got put on the active, uh, football injury list due to a hamstring issue. They, I thought Zach was pretty coy in his answer there. He, when he was asked, should we call it day to day? He said, sure, you can call it that. It, I'm going to guess it's longer than that. And I hope it's not. Cause I, you know, Larry Ogunjobi's penciled in to be a starting tackle and you sign him to be, um, you know, to team with, with DJ reader inside. So that's certainly one to monitor, but other than that, getting reader back, getting, um, you know, getting uh, Joe on the field, as we expected, getting Trey Hopkins back, that's, that's a good sign for day one of camp. All right, and we'll obviously check back in. next With next week's podcast, we can sort of recap the, the first week of action. But there is another yep. big story shifting here and mostly related to football, but really all college athletics right now. And that's the realignment wheel turning once again. Texas and Oklahoma on Monday morning formally notified the Big 12 that they would not renew their grants of media rights with the conference when the current contract ends in 2025. And on Tuesday, they sent a joint request seeking membership in the SEC starting on July 1st, 2025. Wednesday night, Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports reported that the Big 12 is concerned that the American Athletic Conference is actively attempting to assume all eight remaining league members of the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma are formally accepted into the SEC. Skinny, what do you think the chances are that the AAC will add most, if not all, of the remaining Big 12 teams? I don't know if all, but I, I do think it's a good chance they had a chunk of those because they are well positioned from a media perspective. I think their TV rights deal with ESPN, I'm doing this off the top of my head, Rick, it's at least through 2029. I don't know if I thought I saw 2032. That seems awful long to be out through 2032. So I'm going to stick with 2029. Um, that's four years after the Big 12 media rights end. You can't imagine with the Big 12 sending a cease and desist and pointing a finger at ESPN that after 2025, ESPN's all in and whatever remains of the big 12. So yeah, I, I think the AAC has a good chance at survival. Now that sounds great in theory and it is, I guess, great. But if we're going to that four super conference model, right? Is that the fourth super conference or is that still number five, depending on what the PAC 12 picks up? And then I guess the other part is where does this end? Um, you know, does the Big Ten start to get poached by the SEC? Does hell? I, there's been some talk of of the SEC poaching USC and Oregon, uh, and making it into almost like an NFL-ish type league of thirty some odd teams and multiple divisions. Um, you know, I don't think this is the end of it. I think this is just the start, and it's going to get goofy in the next few years. I, I will say, I'm a big rivalry guy with college sports. I just hope it doesn't ruin some of the great rivalries, some of what's made college football so great all for the almighty dollar. And I fear it might have. Well, you know, they won't take those types of things into consideration. Tradition. No, and all of course that means not. Nothing no, it means nothing. Absolutely. These people, And that's fine. I, I get that, but it's, it is a shame. And 
I mean, they're making billions and billions of dollars already, and they're just fighting for a bigger slice of of that pie and and to make even more billions, which I guess that's how the world works, and that's fine. But yeah, it, it is a shame that you're going to lose a, a lot of rivalries, tradition, all that type of stuff through this realignment. I guess my thing with the AAC, they could really have a nice conference. They really could. I agree with you. Football and basketball and other sports that I don't really care as much about, I'm sure will be good too. But those two especially, which is what you know, football drives all of this. And then basketball is kind of a secondary thing that people tend to care a decent amount about and, and are interested in what impact all the realignment will have on the sport, obviously. They, they'll have a good conference. I mean, it, for, from UC's perspective, this would be a really nice move up. Uh, my my only question about it, what you're saying makes sense. I, 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 I could see the teams in the Big 12 thinking, look, we're screwed at this point. This is the safest, most stable option we got is the is teaming up with these other AAC teams. I'm I'm most curious about branding. I have a hard time believing that teams that were in the Big 12 are going to be okay with now saying they're in the AAC just from a brand perspective. So but, but Rick, but Rick, if you don't have TV rights deals in that league after 2025, and like I said, you've just MF'd. ESPN. I can't imagine they go, Hey, it's okay. You basically called us a bunch of cheaters and liars and um, we're trying to ruin your league. And, and yeah, we'll get back in bed with you from TV perspective, especially in your, in your now watered down league. I, I, I'm, I think the only brand you hope for is to get in a league that's still solvent and still has a TV deal and still can pay out some money. I agree. I'm just wondering if there isn't some type of, I don't know. I mean, it, you're, you're right. It's that it can't remain the big 12, I guess. And no, correct. Point. The ESPN is going to work with those people. So I don't know what you do to make that work. I just find it hard to believe it's even just based on what we're already hearing and seeing that those teams are going to say, yeah, we want to join something called the AAC, even if that is clearly the best option for them. And it might be the only option for them, the, the, the way it plays out. The, the one school, one school I would like them to get, and I can I can honestly see they're not going to, because I think they either go to the Big Ten or they go to the ACC, or maybe if the SEC opts to add two more. West Virginia is the one to me that that that's that's I can see saying thank you, no thank you, AAC. We can find ourselves in a different spot, and probably Oklahoma State too, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, and then you know how many times how many times do you say that until you get to a point where is it really worth adding people and splitting the money more ways? Cause that's, that's the other thing that no, I think yeah. we're, we're missing some, some of the point on the, the landscape has changed a bit since the last round of realignment, the TV contracts now are not going to be what they were. ESPN is not going to, to re up for the same contracts they were because of all the streaming rights deals. It's, it's a different ball game. Well, now but they'll, they'll where, forget the it, it is more quote unquote inventory. But those streaming rights deals have a chance to be thing. good. Well, I I will tell you this: if, if from what I remember reading during SEC media days is true, I'm going to have a hard time doing this. But I think each SEC school is playing at least one, if not two, of their games on uh, ESPN Plus. So as the only sport as you know that I actually have a rooting interest in is Kentucky football for whatever reason. I'm a grad. I don't really not a huge Kentucky basketball fan is I've made it well aware because I don't like Cal, but um, I'm a huge Kentucky football fan. And I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I've got cable. I've got sec network. 
I've usually every Kentucky game is on somewhere between the ESPN family of networks or SEC network. In fact, they all have been over the last few years. If they're going to force me to go buy two games on streaming, I'm probably going to do it. There's another revenue stream, no pun intended. Yeah, well, the SEC is going to be fine. I'm not. I'm not worried about them at all. I'm. I'm more so talking about the the overall dollars in terms of what these teams are getting paid out right now. You know, like the Big Twelve teams are making. 30 something million, I 34 think, million, yeah, 30, yeah, 34 their, million from their yeah. deal with ESPN. I think the AAC teams are making 7 million uh, uh, from their deal with ESPN. I don't think they could get those same contracts right now if they were to try to resign those just because the TV money isn't there. And just, you know, everyone was saying before that you just have to add teams. You got to get up to 14 or 16 teams and the more teams, the better because you needed inventory for the cable deals. I don't think that's the case as much well, anymore. I think no, it's easier to just stay at a lower number of of uh, teams overall in your conference and just have better quality of teams, and that's well, really right. the route you want to go. Right. So let, let's just let's play this route. Let's say the AAC wants to stay at the same number of teams, but they want to add. So I'm going to add me some Baylor. I'm going to add me some Texas Tech. I'm going to add me some TCU. And for fun, let's just say we'll add us Iowa State. Bye-bye, East Carolina. Bye-bye, Tulane. Bye-bye, Tulsa. I mean, you can do it. Enjoy the A-10. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that would be, to me, maybe even in a more ideal scenario for the AAC is cut, right. cut the fat. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then add the, the big 12 teams that are looking for a landing spot that have some national cachet to them, or at least certainly more cachet than East Carolina, Tulsa, Tulane. Yeah, I mean – I tell you what, the way things are trending with UC football, and I mean, if you could keep Luke, uh, Luke Fickle around, it, it would be cool to see them get in a bigger time conference. I mean, th- them combining with the Big 12 would put UC in what would feel like almost a perfect level conference for them. And honestly, maybe, you know, we keep talking about this whole four conference thing. Maybe if you put something together like that, maybe it is a five conference. Maybe they, they, they are that extra power five. They replaced the Big 12 and we move on from there in expanded playoff now maybe they only still get one team in because of the sec super conference gets five in okay but maybe they do become the fifth super conference yeah i i think that's you know i don't know if it'll be termed super conference at that point like i don't know if they ever reach that no, status, power five but, they're, but the, yeah, they're, they're, they're exactly. the extra power five exactly if, if you ex- especially if you're expanding the the playoff i think they're definitely uh a guarantee game in that expanded format you know i, I think they're they're going to get teams in so Overall, it's it looks like it'll definitely be a better situation for UC, assuming the AAC somehow combines with the Big Twelve. I mean, I think if you are a UC, I, I fan think they, point, I, I think, I think the Big Twelve has to. You, you, you might be right. That certainly Those seems Big to be the way it's trending. And I think if you're a UC fan, that's exactly what you're hoping for. That's a that's the best case scenario right now. I don't think getting into the ACC or something like that is a realistic option at this point. No, agreed, agreed. Agreed. All right, I've got a gambling thing for you. You ready? Right. Yep. You can do this with some friends. You can take you can take this wager. We don't really have much in this gambling segment this week. We'll try to cobble some stuff together next week. Obviously, we're moving closer and closer to the start of college football and NFL, where we'll be picking a handful of games each week, and as we usually do, slugging our way around the five hundred mark. But I, I had this I had this bet proposed to me. <laughs> I kind of found it interesting. If I were to ask you what number will be higher at the end of the year. A. Eugenio Suarez's batting average or number of strikeouts? Which would you take? Oh, I think you currently batting 174 with 124 strikeouts. 
Yeah, I can't. I think we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what the numbers were at at the time. It, it gets even a little more interesting now. I think I'm going strikeouts. All right, so I think I'm going to go batting average only because there's a part of me that thinks when Mike Moustakas comes back, whenever that that pipe dream day might be, that he starts gobbling into some of Suarez's at-bats. Here's the problem. And he doesn't gonna, get enough bats to strike out enough. How about not this? Enough he's not going to get enough at-bats to strike out enough. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to. He's, he's got any. How many how many strikeouts per game are we talking here to, to get to this number? Do we know? I mean, um, what, what, How many games have they played so far? 100? Are they at 100 yet or a little bit over 100? They, I think they're at 102. Yeah, 102. So 60 games left. He's averaging over a strikeout a game. He's averaging like 1.3 yeah. strikeouts per game, but that's he, per game played. So you're assuming. So he's going to have to probably play in at least, at least 40 to 45 more games and continue batting his batting average in the 170s. Which I think he'll be below like 190 is what I'm shooting yeah. for here. I'm thinking like somewhere below 190. So he needs 40-ish more strikeouts is what we're saying. Well, no, right now he needs um, he's 50 behind his batting average. So he needs 51 at the current clip he's at. So that's what I'm saying. He'd need to play okay. about about 40 more games. Okay. The question so, yeah. is, will he, will, will he play those 40 games? Though? Or if he continues to do this and you're in a race and you're like, I can't put him in the lineup and I've got India playing second. I feel good enough with Kyle Farmer playing short. Moose is at third for a stretch. Man, I'd like to think you're right about that. I just don't know that we're actually going to see Suarez get benched. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to stick with it. I think he gets enough strikeouts. He's definitely okay. going to average enough strikeouts per game to, to get there. You're right. It's, it comes down to at bats at this well, point. Well, so, since this is a betting segment, I'm going to go batting average for a six pack. How does that sound? Mm, I don't know if I feel strongly enough to do a beer bet on this one. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll go strikeouts. Yeah. yeah. For a six pack. Yeah. It's a yeah, half unit. Exactly. That's correct. That's yeah. It's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. It's about a good, that's about a good, it's good eight to 10 spot. That's all good. All right. Good deal. All right, I like it. So, so, so <laughs> we did have a gambling segment after all. Good stuff. All right. You carried the gambling saying, let's get into an abbreviated ask any anything segment. We got two questions here. Both of them are sports related. And the first one comes from uh, the, the Xavier crowd. Obviously they just watched the, the basketball tournament over the weekend where Xavier's uh, zip em up team put on a show on Saturday night against Ohio's alumni team and then got upset in the second round against Buffalo's alumni team. The question is, Skinny, is it a good idea for Xavier and UC alumni teams to play in the TBT against each other? There was some talk on Twitter about UC. They had tried this once before. Melvin Levitt tried to get a team. It fizzled out. It wasn't really a good UC alumni team. Do, do you think it would right. be smart of the basketball tournament to pit Xavier alumni versus UC alumni in the tournament, especially because they're talking about yeah, potentially I, I mean, playing yeah. at CentOS next year? Right. I mean, any if you've got any kind of rivalry like that, there's still enough freshness to it for some of those guys and from the fan bases to go watch that. Um, you know, I've always been a big believer. You know, we've talked about these schlock pro teams that have come along in some minor leagues and they think, hey, let's get some local guys and people will care. Nah, they, they, they don't care. But I do think if you still got a UC versus a Xavier, a Kentucky versus a Louisville, I, I, I think people would care. I think they would too. Um, I think my bigger concern here, if I'm the basketball tournament would be, I just watched Mark Lyons and JP McKira and the trash talking and taunting they were doing to a couple of Mac teams over the weekend. 
I don't know if I have enough security or insurance policy in <laughs> place to to be ready for a Xavier UC. I mean, I really think this would end in a brawl, especially if Mark Lyons is still playing for the Xavier team. I don't I don't know how you play against Mark yeah, Lyons I, I without wanting like- to fight him. Yeah, I guess the only thing you could say is, guys, if you you, you mess this up one time, we're never going to do it again. And and hence, you know, maybe for something like that, you'd give them a cut of the gate. Um, and if you say you screw it up, then there goes a nice cut of the gate in the future. And maybe they don't care. Yeah, well, I, I can guarantee I, you, you Mark do Lyons in that doesn't care. To avoid that. Yeah, I can guarantee you Mark Lyons doesn't yeah. care and JP doesn't care. But you, they, there is, you know, Xavier, tra- Xavier fans traveled really well up to uh, Columbus, to Ohio State for the event. They showed out well. There's a legitimate talk over at Xavier now they they tweeted out that they want TBT to come there next year so we'll see where it goes I, I don't think you're gonna have a UC team in there necessarily next year that you know didn't work out last time and I haven't heard any momentum for them to get one together but the question did come up and I think uh it well, was I'd love to see it I think it'd be great fun yeah all right also our guy Dan said uh well it was announced that November's USA Mexico World Cup qualifier will be played in Cincinnati our guy Dan wanted to know this is the most significant sporting event in Cincinnati since what skinny um since they brought the national table tennis tournament here <laughs> I, I just I'm sorry that I can't get enthused by it I just can't I'm I can't I would I'm not even gonna feign it um since since the Reds played a Playoff games is the since the Bengals last played the Steelers in a playoff game. I sent him. I sent him back uh, since last Thursday's Reds I was, game. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> since since yeah since uh, since Moeller played Elder in 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 football. I mean, I honestly, I really any GCL sporting. Listen, you are right for, about that. For for the soccer fans in the in the, in the audience, honestly, good for them. Good for you. I know it's a big deal. I just I'm not going to feign my enthusiasm for it. I'm just not. I'm not even trying to make it like a personal thing because obviously I'm not a big soccer guy either. I just don't even know how to really put it in perspective. Like I know I, know I don't it's either a big deal, and I know people will be coming from all over the world to to Cincinnati to watch it. But like in the eh, city, how see, much I, will we really I, talk about? I don't know this? if I believe. Oh, they no, will. No, honestly, oh, they will. I, USA soccer I, fans will, will show up for a world qualifier, World Cup qualifier like that. The, there are legit USA soccer fans. People I think no. Well, but I, hang on. I think you'll see a lot of local people buying tickets for it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Probably we, ace some of them out. And so I, I think I heard somebody say it was a $10 million economic impact for the city. Bull crap. No, no way. Ain't no way. It's a $10 million economic impact for the city for one game. No, 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 no. That's a BS number being floated around. Yeah, I, I uh, again, that's another math thing where I just can't even wrap my head around how to figure that out. I would have no way of knowing. But I, look, I, I do understand that there will be tons of people coming in from all around the world to see this game. I know that there will be plenty of fans here that are excited to see it. I, it's just like th- this will not take over our city in terms of sports talk conversation. No, especially if the like Bengals that. are still re- if the Bengals are still relevant in November. Guess what? That's all the city cares about primarily. Yeah, and even even if they're not, it'll still be a bigger right, conversation correct. that week. Correct. If they're, correct. you know, I don't, <laughs> they could have two wins at that point, and it'll still be a bigger deal than this game to our city. I, I don't, I don't mean to uh, to like poo poo the idea. No, or anything I, 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 or I will say again. I, just, I no, I think it shows you how cool that facility is. The newness of it certainly helps, without question. Um, so, th- I mean, it, it, I'm not here to tell you it's a bad thing that they got it. It's just that I'm not going to feign my level of enthusiasm for it. I'm just, 
Okay, great. You got it. Good for you. Yeah. And like, like that word significant for me is just like, it's tough to put in perspective. Again, I just don't really know how to gauge it against sports that we actually talk about and care about in this city. You know, I, I, I don't know. So tough, tough question, Dan. We I mean, probably I, the people again, to ask I, again, again you, you, you went, no, you run in different, you and I run in, 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 in different circles. And I know your fiance is a, a huge soccer fan and, and, um, my goddaughter's sister is a huge soccer fan. She's got season tickets for the Louisville women's team and she lives up here. Um, so she and I get in great debates on it when we go to dinner um, of, of my dislike of it and her love of it. And it's okay. I mean, you know, um, but I'll be honest in the circles I run in, I don't think FC Cincinnati ever comes up. And again, we run in different circles than others. So I get that. I mean, how much conversation do you have about it with, with you, with your, how much soccer conversation do you have with your fiance or like when you're out with her friends or kind of your group of mixed friends, how much soccer conversation comes up versus Reds, Bengals, college basketball, college football? Yeah. Sports. Very little, I would say, but also it's, it's interesting to me, Dan, actually, that I used to do my Xavier podcast with and who posed this question to, to us. Right. Right. He, he's the one guy who actually talks about it. Like it's a normal sport. I feel like okay. he's one of the few right. guys yeah. okay. who converses as a sport. Everyone else that brings it up to me brings it up still as like this novelty, this beer drinking event, this, you know, it feels like get a fest or it feels like right. uh, right. Oktoberfest to me. It doesn't feel like it's a sport that we talk about strategy or being pissed off at the coaching staff or talking about the decisions that were made. And again, maybe that's just the circles that we run in and the lack of understanding of soccer within my circle. I don't know, whatever. Or, or but the it, fact that the, that the team stinks. There's that too. Like that, that, that's the other part that I still find fascinating is that they're, you know, they're still showing up and beating their drum every week and they're not winning any games or scoring terrible. So uh, so poorly them. run. They are so poorly run from a, from a front office standpoint, other than making money. It's absurd. Yeah. Again, I think they have the best business model of all. You don't need any success. You just print money. Right. Exactly. People keep showing exactly. up. That's a great business model. That's exactly right. All right, Rick, uh, hopefully by next week, we, the Reds are still relevant. We'll uh, actually, the day we'll be doing this podcast next week, we will have, it'll be a Bengals day off. So it'll be a perfect time to recap what's going on in camp there. Maybe we'll talk some FC Cincinnati. Maybe we'll try to work that. Will you try to work that in the conversation for next week? Yeah, I'll work hard on that. Work on what they're doing on the back line. If they can get the diamond front going, you know, get, 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 get a few more set pieces that work. Let's, let's talk about some of that. Let's talk about the ins and outs of it. Can we? I will definitely break down some set piece action for you next all week. Right. I always love all that. All right. We appreciate you listening. Keep, keep sending those questions. Hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. It can be on any topic, as you know. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner from the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope for the edition. 